Hi, all. Thanks so much for joining Speaking of Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we welcome Priscilla Standridge, who is the Research Director for the Global Women Health Index at Gallup. Thanks so much for being here, Priscilla. Thank you. So I'm really excited to talk to you about this because this is such a massive undertaking that Gallup partnered with Hologic on. It was a two-year process to really find a baseline for women's health and ensuring that everybody is, you know, getting the best care that they need and meeting certain dynamics. So I'd love to hear a little bit about this process, how many people were involved, how you decided what was important, and what did you measure? Just where do you start? Because that's an enormous project to take on. That's a really great question. So we designed surveys at Gallup. So we really start by asking ourselves, you know, what are we really trying to understand? Who are the people that can help us understand that? Who are really the experts that will be able to give us the best insights? And then also it's about what can we ask people about their daily lives that they'll be able to tell us about? We want to go to people with questions that are really relatable and things that they can really tell us their story about. Um, So we started consulting with experts and really asking them, how would you go about tracking and measuring how the world's doing and measuring women's health? Um, It's no simple task because there's just so many ways to measure health to begin with, but also so many ways to um, think about the factors related to women's health. Um, But at the end of the day, it really comes down to understanding what are specific health issues for women that are the most, you know, women are at the most risk for that are going to be the most damaging to women. Um, what are the factors in women's lives that prevent them from getting good health care? Um, and how can we really ask them about those experiences and start to hold leaders accountable for tracking those issues? This may sound like a basic question. It's obvious, but why is it important to gauge women's health worldwide? So we always like to say you can only manage what you measure. So unless you have a globally comparable metric, Um, that really helps us gauge where we're going and, you know, what direction we're headed. Um, You know, that's really the only place you can start to really benchline progress or if we're, you know, losing progress. The other really interesting thing is so many different countries measure these things in isolation, but it's really hard to come up with comparable metrics. And that's where the Gallup World Poll comes in. We, We feel the same survey questions in people's local languages, using the same methodology. The interviewers have the same training um, and we really take it from there. It's really a unique uh, type of survey process. I find it uh, very, very interesting, Priscilla, what you're talking about when Stephanie asked the question of this is basic. A a similar question was kind of going through my mind. Uh, You were talking earlier before we started recording about how there's so many cultural issues across different countries that really uh, prevent uh, application of the same interventions in, in different places. And what it was making me think of, again, at the most basic level is, is it even possible to measure health across countries? Uh, do we, can we define it the same way? I guess my, if I were to answer that question, maybe blood pressure needs to be managed in a particular way for everybody, but then are there different definitions of health that really need to be respected across uh, cultural and national boundaries? That's such a great question. And that's really at the heart of designing these surveys. We try to create questions that are really accessible at potentially a a seventh grade reading level, third grade reading level. So truly understandable to people. And I think it comes down to really measuring universal experiences 
Um, we don't want to ask people really super, super complicated ideas that they're not going to be able to speak to, but we're really trying to hone in on what are the experiences that everybody can speak to in their daily life? What are the concepts that people can really understand? And we're really not trying to come up with a medical definition or a definition that um, is, is going to be really, really refined and perfect. We want to understand what is the simplest way that people can tell us um, if they're hitting these important aspects of their health. So yeah, blood pressure is one of them, cancer, um, sexually transmitted diseases. Do you think that pregnant women good, get good quality health care during their pregnancies? These are things that women can tell you and they will tell you. So I think it's also about, you know, what are the things that women and people are really worried about um, because they will know the answers to those questions. And honestly, they're kind of the best source for finding out the truth. Do some of these underdeveloped countries who aren't getting any kind of care, you know, who really don't have access to prenatal care, do they have a good gauge of what good prenatal care is? So is even that a little bit subjective? Because do they even realize that there should be certain screenings or certain intervals that they're checking in with their doctor? That's, that's so true. I think that, yeah, so much about whether or not we believe we're getting good quality healthcare is relative. Um, throughout the course of this survey, you know, we, we were talking about that a lot that, you know, if my mother wasn't able to go to a hospital and I am to give birth, that's going to feel like a major gain for me. Um, so I think that there is definitely some fluctuation. There is some relativity in how people are answering us. But at the end of the day, what's been really, really fascinating is that the data based on individual female responses tracks extremely closely with the official statistics that we've seen. We looked at number of doctors, number of midwives, healthcare spending, um, the actual outcomes, life, life, life expectancy at birth. It's incredible how closely these things track with those official metrics which really goes to the point of, you know, if you really want to know something, you should ask people, ask women, they are able to tell you whether or not what they're getting and what they're seeing is good enough. And it's rather really serving them from a healthcare perspective. Oh, I love that. I love that. So, but maybe I'll be a little provocative then on that, Priscilla, because on the one hand, I think what you're saying is the data tracks with what the women are saying. So then to be provocative, do we think that what else are we learning for when we're asking the women directly rather than just going to the data? There must be some more nuances or levels of understanding that we're getting at. So the data collection from official stats is really complicated. There is not a solid, universal, comparable source. You're usually compiling lots of different data sources. And you know organizations like the UN spend a lot of time and energy compiling those sources, filling in missing years, creating estimates, um, rounding out all the differences and how the data was collected or what the definitions are. You go to every single country and you're gonna get a slightly different data set or a very different data set. So when we do these surveys, you know, it's, it's easier in some ways, although it's definitely not easy, um, but it's all, it's consistent. And I think that that's, what's really powerful about these surveys is you can ask these questions consistently with the same methodology. Um, and it's just such a shorter distance between being able to look at the data across the world and understand how things play out in different contexts. You said that there's three key areas that really make a difference for people, which are their education, the safety, 
and then their age at the first at first pregnancy. And it seems like those are such basic things, you know, that it doesn't necessarily connect with how that impacts your overall health, you know, your education level or a safety does, but maybe not in a way of thinking of like cancer or other things like that. But you're saying those three things really do impact your overall health as a human and life expectancy. I would, I would, the addendum to that is for women. Yes. Um, it's, it's something that we see across the board makes a huge difference in the health outcomes for women. So the longer women are able to stay in school, the longer they're able to get the opportunity to continue their education, um, the better set up for life they're going to be, the more standing they're going to have in society when they're getting a job, when they're trying to provide for themselves, and when they're providing for their own future children and families. Um, the age of first pregnancy really goes hand in hand with that because it really can you know, curtail your chances of, of being independent and not having to take care of a second person or even put your education on hold potentially, or, you know, derail your career because you're having to deal with other circumstances, especially if you're in a very low resource situation. Um, And then safety. Yes. Gender-based violence is the most imminent risk to women's health in the most basic sense. Um, It is extremely lopsided, as we know from statistics in terms of how much it affects women. Um, and it's, it's really interesting too how much it burdens women mentally and psychologically, you know, just the ability to go out safely and go about your business, um, you know, without fear of an imminent threat from, you know, in your neighborhood or even in your home, that makes a huge difference on your daily life. And it makes a huge difference on whether or not you're going to be able to proactively take care of your health. Think of jogging, think of exercising. If you don't feel safe, in your neighborhood, there are so many things about your health that you're just not able to do. So while we're tracking these metrics that speak to concrete things that make you healthy or unhealthy, we do see these cross-cutting issues that are interventions that will improve those outcomes. Yeah, that uh, that is really eye-opening that it's kind of very simple public health uh, you would say even social structured sorts of issues that really impact uh, women's health, which is amazing. And I wonder if we had a parallel study on the men's side, whether it would actually turn out to be maybe different things, but uh, but on a similar basis. Uh, one thing that was striking me, Priscilla, when you were when you were talking earlier, is that you're going to the extent of doing surveys, and it's not simple, but at least it's consistent because you're doing surveys. Are you also capturing any individual level data, any stories of you know, the, the particular hardships that individual women are facing? Because that can also be such a powerful adjunct to what you're releasing. Obviously, you're trying to compare countries to each other and using this amazing index that you've created to do so. But how does that get supplemented maybe with additional data that you can gather because of your methodology? So our survey is very comprehensive. The Gallup World Poll has been running since 2005, and it was specifically designed to capture sort of the building blocks of human development for societies. So we ask, of course, a whole slew of demographic questions about employment, about um, how many people are in your household, about your income, about your education. That's all captured, you know, as part of the demographic factors in the survey. But then within the wider context of the survey, we also ask about you know, your opinions of the government and opinions of different infrastructure in your lives. Um, there's, there's a lot of questions that are asked around a lot of different topics. 
So that's where it's a really fertile ground to be able to do these specific studies because you're able to then link a particular focus area to this wider context of issues. Um, so we have been tracking health. We have been tracking well-being um, for 15 years now. And we've always known that women kind of got the short end of the stick on some of those areas. For example, pain. Women have experienced more pain in our surveys than men for the past 15 years. Um, in the past year, especially stress and anger and sadness were much worse for women than they were for men, especially if women had children. Um, so we already know sort of from these broad population surveys, who is suffering the most and who is doing the worst, whether it's by income, by education or by urbanicity, things like that. Um, we do know a lot about the people that we interview. It's, it's really fascinating data. And some of the findings I thought were surprising. You said that the top country was, or the top area surveyed was the territory of Taiwan with 69 out of 100. And you said that they really embrace universal health care and, you know, um, just women health in general and trust. And then you said the worst was Peru at 36 out of 100 and that they have a low opinion of their health and safety of women is really a challenge. And then the United States ranked right around 20th. And so what are some of those things that stand out to you when you're looking at what these countries are doing well and what opportunities the United States might have? What are some of those things? Rankings are always such a fun flashpoint for us to really take stock of where we land. I think that the United States has known for a while that you know we, we spend a lot, we talk a lot, we, we do a lot, but how does that really bear out for people? Um, there's a really powerful chart in the report where we track spending per capita with the, the values of our index. And it kind of trends and sort of correlates until you look at the US, which is way out to the side in terms of very high spending and fairly mediocre scores for women. Um, and I think that that's just something that, you know, every country is going to scroll through and look for their name on the list. And it, when, when it comes to the U.S., you know, we're, we're not terribly surprised, but it is a moment of reckoning, um, especially when we think about the inequalities that we do know about within our country, um, whether it's by race and ethnicity or immigration status or by income. We, you know, we have incredible inequalities in this country. So even that overall score kind of hides the fact that you know, that's an average. So if, if that's the average, there's definitely situations within our country that we really need to address. You've got a lot of data. You've got all sorts of demographic health-related data. And so I wonder, you take a big country like the U.S. and you take a big country like India, and there's going to be different pockets of of uh, good health and good health outcomes and, and good health systems. And there's gonna be areas in which it's really just terrible. So do you have enough data that allows you to sort of break it down in that way as well, uh, below the country level, maybe at the state or community level? And if so, do you have uh, any lessons that, that, you know, that we can learn from within, within our own culture, within our own country, where we can all identify and have a sense of what we can contribute to it? Uh, so I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what, what can you do when you get down a little bit below the country designation? So that's really where we, you know, we, we do reflect on that a lot. The goal of the World Poll and these types of studies is to compare across countries and understand inequalities globally. Um, and we do are able to some extent to look at inequalities within countries. 
Um, but obviously with a thousand people, you can't really break it down by state. You can't go down to, you know, census tract and, and sort of understand, you know, different zip codes that we know struggle with different issues. What's really cool is that Hologic has launched um, Project Health Equality as well. Um, they have this initiative that both has like on the ground activities. And we're also going to be doing a survey just in the U.S., um, and we are specifically going to be looking at the health experiences of women, um, really trying to understand where those biggest gaps are. Um, so I, I'd just say more to come because that is that is super important. With this and seeing everything that you've seen over this two-year process, what are your hopes for you know five years out? Is five years enough to, time to make a significant difference? And if so, you know where do people start, and what do you hope you see? That's a really great question. I mean, institutions and global changes move slowly. That's why we track things. Um, you know, you're talking to somebody who works at Gallup. We've been tracking stuff since the 80s. So, you know, we live on sort of generational spans of time. Um, what we have seen is that data from the Gallup World Poll is part of at least two um, UN Sustainable Development Goals in tracking those goals. So for example, the FINDEX, which measures financial inclusion, has been a real um, you know, mirror held up to the world and different countries have made substantial gains between one measurement and the next, um, creating better financial inclusion. So I think it comes down to you know, when people are faced and they have a reckoning around these data, can they try to enact policies and changes to move the metric and move the needle even just a little on one of these areas. That's why we specifically designed an index that has so many components because we want you to understand where you're lagging and where those areas of impact are going to be the most powerful for you. Um, and I think that you know, in many policy situations, the way you really move the needle is by helping the least of these. So when you create that inclusion from the bottom up, um, that's where you really see the biggest changes. And that's what I would really love to see those inequalities really decreasing both globally, as well as within countries that to me will be a real sign of progress. Thank you so much. This was such an amazing interview. I love what you're doing. It's such an enormous project to tackle, but it sounds like you really are doing it in the best way that you possibly could. We try. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Fascinating to learn about. Thank you. And thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.